Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. you take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at 4 through 10 as we finish the second part of our message. If you did not get the first one, that's okay. You can go to www.orangevilla.org and you can find it there. But I believe that we'll be able to catch you up very quickly. Let me ask you a couple questions. Can a Christian or will a Christian abandon their faith? Can a true believer in Christ, a child of God, can they abandon their faith? Could they give their salvation back? Can a Christian lose their salvation? A true believer of Christ. And then is this phrase, eternal security, once saved, always saved. It, it, what does that statement even mean? Is that, I mean, all I have to do is say a prayer, or say it one time I can believe, and then I can just live my life any way I want, and I'm always saved. It's an unfortunate Phrase And actually in Sunday school, I, uh, Dustin uh, tackled a little bit of that uh, uh, this week and maybe a little bit next week. And it's looking at just a simple professional faith. Is that enough to even make one a Christian? What is a Christian? Well, last week the theme was God's divine justice demands. That God's divine justice demands that he punish the wicked. While the theme of today's message, looking at the same passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, 4-10, shows that God's divine justice demands that he also rescue the godly. So divine justice means that not only will justice be served when the wicked are condemned, but also as the godly are rescued. Last week... We read the if statements that demonstrate that the wicked cannot escape God's divine judgment. Remember here, as we're looking at the theme here of 2 Peter, it's about the false teachers. And one of the things that the false teachers were teaching was that there would be no reckoning. Christ is not returning again. There will be no day of judgment. So live life to the fullest. Live any way that you want. Pursue your own happiness. Pursue your own passions. You will not be judged in the end times. Well, we understand scripturally that is not true. And this was leading many in the church to, to follow them because we all love that, right? It'd be easy if I were to get up here. Our church would grow if I would say, listen, all you have to do is believe Christ and just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus or I went and saw the passion or I've seen at least one Christian music or movie and listened to Christian music. If I could tell you, you know what, you could do anything you want and be a Christian, just signed our membership form, I'm, I'm sure our church would, would grow. And I could validate you every Sunday as you come in. I could put a stamp saying, see that you're saved. You don't have to worry. Pursue your passions. Be happy. We could probably just grow this pretty, pretty well. But that's not scripture. Peter gave three examples of those if statements, as we saw last week, as a matter of review. He said, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, referring to those angels who left heaven, as we see in Jewish tradition, and came and intermarried with the women of the world, of the earth. In verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, If he did not spare the ancient world, referring to those that lived preceding the flood. 
And he says, if turning the cities in Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction. Again, referring to the destruction of those two great cities and the story of Lot that's so familiar to many of us. Those three serve as examples of God's righteous justice being served. And from these examples, Peter is encouraging his readers not to be discouraged that the wicked prosper. And we look to Jeremiah, says, why do the wicked always prosper? Jeremiah, he was so angry with it. He says, I consider them to be sheep to be slaughtered. Father, why don't you take care of them? Justice will be served. You and I must understand as we look here in the monitor, these three things that we learned from scripture last week. That judgment may not be immediate. In other words, many times it seems like the wicked do prosper. It seems like those that rebel against Christ continue to live and we ask, where is their punishment? But it's delay. Judgment's delay is not forever. So there are times where God delays his judgment, but it will not be forever. The second point we learned from last week is that earthly punishment does point to the final judgment. So there are things that happen in this life that points. When you and I think of why do bad things happen to good people, many times it points to a final judgment. Earthquakes, tsunamis, bridges that collapse. It points to a final judgment due to sin. And then thirdly, God sometimes, or many times, I would say, holds back that judgment, delays serving his justice so that he may give sinners time to repent. Hence, when he saw the world and he said, look at how wicked it is during the times of Noah. He did not destroy it right away, but waited 120 years. Not only to build the ark, but also so Noah could preach to them the ministry of repentance. Christ himself came preaching repentance. Paul tells us that God's kindness in delaying judgment and punishment on the wicked is meant to lead us to repentance. However, you and I understand just from our own hearts that many times God's kindness in giving us breath and giving us life, even in our rebellion against him, leads us to continue in that sin. Well, I would join with scripture that says, God forbid, it should not. But this is what's happening here in this New Testament church in the first century in Asia Minor. You and I must understand this. So these if statements... If God knows how to do this, it points to the then statements of verse 9 that we're going to look here in a moment. Where Peter writes, and look here, it's on the monitor. If we do this, if the Lord knows how not to spare these people, but to bring them to judgment, the Lord knows to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So you and I must not despair. Even though God may let them prosper for a moment, he knows how to keep them under judgment. In other words, God's not going to mix it up and forget to give justice. He's not going to delay forever in getting that. He knows how to keep them. You and I think of that uh, many times if we're planning something special and we say, you know what, I'm going to wear these clothes uh, for this party or I'm going to wear it. For... So we take those clothes and we put them aside. 
knowing that we want to not get it dirty, we don't want to lose it, we want to tear it. He's going to keep these things. He knows what he's going to do with them. Peter is pointing out that God knows how to dispense justice. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. You and I must trust him. We must trust that God knows exactly what he is doing. So don't be discouraged as we see the wicked prosper. Whether it's outside in the world or whether it's inside the churches today. And we spoke about how many times you and I are passing churches that parking lots are filled and seem to be doing so well. And we wonder, but they lost the gospel. They don't preach the gospel. Why are they prospering? Why does God set them up and give them fruits? I know as a pastor, I do. Our hearts wonder, why is it that our friends and relatives are so much drawn to people who are charismatic and persuasive? Yet there's no substance in their, mar- in, in their marriage, but in their, in their message. God knows exactly what he's doing. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Amen? And we must understand that God will keep the wicked for the day of punishment. But this passage also helps us understand as Peter now moves to the then statements of chapter or verse 9, verse A that precedes this verse. And again, looking at the monitor, if God does not spare the angels, if he does not spare the wicked world, if he does not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. In other words, many times our life, as scripture shares with us, and paints a picture of us having to do life and live in a world that's hostile to our faith. Even in the church, as many sheep who have heard his voice and have come, we will be filled with goats as well that intermingle. And too many times you and I are trying to do what God is going to do. For at the end, God says that he will separate the goats from the sheep. But you and I many times are trying to do that today. Not that we shouldn't guard and protect the sheep, but we must trust that God is going to rescue the godly from trials. Let's pray. Father, so open up our minds and hearts to this passage once again. Lord, may we find comfort. May we find warning. May we find a challenge here. And Lord, I pray that distractions would be minimal. Lord, help us to be in our seats and to receive your word with gladness and joy. And let us ask for your spirit just to strike us, Lord, that we may respond to your word. I praise in Christ's name. Amen. What does Peter refer to here in this phrase? If the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. What does that mean? How does he know how to rescue the godly from trials? Well, going back to the judgment against the three previous examples of wickedness, we also see that God is rescuing the godly during those trials and troubles. You might remember here as we go back with the rebellious angels that left heaven. As they intermingle and begin to marry and have children, we see that God does not judge their wives or children, for they, but they were, though they were directly affected by the sins of those angels, we see that God imprisoned these angels, but did not destroy and kill the wives and the children. At least at that point, they were affected and they continued in that sin, but God still 
had a way in which he rescued the godly because we see as we go into chapter 6 is that there's still Noah and his family. He rescues the godly. God's judgment also against sin included preservation and protection for the godly. Once again, Noah and his family were not taking off the earth, but they were provided shelter and they were protected during the violent storm and the earthly upheaval so that they might survive and repopulate the world. And then thirdly, we see God rescuing the godly as Lot was delivered by being taken out of the city. Though he lost his wife and was deceived by his daughters into sin, God rescued Lot. From this we can deduce that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials by many times isolating them, protecting them in that, by providing for them and by delivering them from the trials and the troubles that go on. Now, as you and I endure suffering from a world that is hostile to our faith, and as we pursue godliness and holiness in a culture that embraces sensuality and defend the gospel from the destructive heresies of false teachers within the church, God promises us that he will guard and keep us during these trials. While Adam failed to guard and keep the garden during the Garden of Eden, the second Adam, Jesus, knows how to rescue the godly in times of trouble. You and I remember the prayer of Jesus that Landon read earlier in our scripture reading. Jesus said, I have guarded them. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Provide, protect, deliver, and isolate them. Now this does not mean that you and I will not be affected by the sin of others nor that you and I will escape the dis discipline of our own disobedience. Looking back at the examples of the ancient world, we see that in all three cases, we learn that sin affects more than those that are ungodly. We read that both Noah and Lot were ridiculed, mocked, and ignored for their faith. Peter tells us that Lot and himself was oppressed by those in the city. He said he was distressed because of their sin. Though he did choose to live in Sodom, he suffered because of that. Now, knowing that he stayed, he was aware of all the sin around him, and it, and it impacted his life. Though he did not succumb himself to the sin and the sensuality and the temptation, we read that his family did, and his daughters led him to sin. His wife died becoming a pillar of salt. And his son-in-laws left or did not believe him and made fun of him. You see, it is true that sin, including those sins by, made by those around us, will take us farther than you and I want to go. That it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than what you want to pay. However, even though the various trials and temptations, trespasses and troubles that God will guard and keep his children, you and I must go through this, but yet God protects us. So do not be discouraged, Peter is writing here. God's sovereignty includes righteous justice in, ju in condemnation. As God judges and punishes the wicked, those who rebel against his authority will be judged and punished by God. But also God's divine justice, his sovereignty, also gives vindication as God provides protection and deliverance for the godly. 
So there is a warning and an encouragement in 2 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 9. Now it's important for you and I to understand that God has not taken us out of this wicked world. But instead, he has appointed us as ambassadors of Christ to be the aroma and the fragrance of the gospel by proclaiming the ministry of reconciliation. And this ministry of reconciliation includes pursuing godliness and holiness, proclaiming the need of repentance and faith in the works of Christ. Doing so will cause the world to hate us, not because of who we are, but the Bible says because of who we represent. Jesus warned his disciples that the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it by, by it that its works are evil. So you and I must hold on to the fact that God knows how to rescue the godly in times of trouble, in a world that is hostile to their faith, into a world in which sensuality and sexuality has now become our God, where entertainment is our pursuit. For you and I should abandon that. And here's a side editorial note. If your life, if your entertainment, if you, the way you spend your money, if your dreams and aspirations mirror the world, then you need to test and examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. For there should be a direct contradiction between what the world wants and what we want. Do not find yourself as a false teacher one who makes a profession of Christ, but one who is apostatized in the faith. You see, all those who obey God will face ridicule, scorn, and mocking, just as Noah and Lot did. It is not popular to be a Christian. The church today is facing more false teachers than ever before. It seems like we are swamped with apostasy as those who once professed Christ are now abandoning the faith. You and I have friends and family that are no longer part of assembly or part of a church. They have failed to follow God's command to supplement their faith as we saw in 2 Peter chapter 1. And let me tell you once again, failure to supplement your faith with the fruits of the Spirit demonstrates that you were never saved. This should not surprise you as Scripture tells us that this happened even during the ministry of the Apostles. Paul writes to Timothy when he says, This charge I give, I entrust to you in accordance with the prophecies about you, that you may wage war against the good warfare, holding your faith and a good conscience. He says, By rejecting this, holding on to their faith, he says, Some have made shipwrecked of their faith, among whom are Harmenius and Alexander, who I handed over to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. Two men who follow Christ, but yet they are not of Christ. Paul writes this of Demas. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. What strong words. Have you deserted Christ? You may be here today, open with your Bible, singing, but you truly in your heart and mind have deserted Christ. Because during the week, your life and your heart is not Christ-like. In 1 John, the apostles' children, it is the last hour, and as I told you and heard, that the Antichrist is coming. But he also says, there are many now Antichrist have come into the world. This is how we know it's the last hour. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. They went out from us, but were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are not all of us. Let me share with you maybe a striking word that you never heard before. Just because you believe in Jesus, just because you said a prayer at a Christian camp or in Sunday school does not make you a believer. You must understand that. For one who is truly a child of God will continue in the way. It's one who has counted the cost, one who has taken up their cross, denied themselves and and, and fled. Too many of us are like the rich young man who have done all the law. We've done all that is expected of us, but yet we hold on to that which is dear, those things that make us happy. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Dare I say this is a famous portion of scripture and also a familiar one. Matthew chapter 13. And if you need a Bible, please let us know. We'd love to get you, give into your hands a copy of God's word. But in Matthew chapter 13, we see the parable, the soils. And in there, we see some examples that prove the word of Jesus' teaching. First, you hear the first one in verse 18. And this is where it's the explanation of it. That who sows, the farmer who sows, is the one who is sowing the word. He's planting the word. He's sharing the gospel. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what's sown along the path. There are many who will hear the gospel, but the heart is so hard that they just walk away. It's of no consequence to them. But what I want to look at is verse 20 through 22. As for that was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. So they profess Christ and they receive it with joy. They're happy. But when tribulation or persecution rises on account of the word, immediately he falls down. As soon as there is objection or or persecution because of their faith, because of their stance for Christ, it says that they fall away. But then look at verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and becomes unfruitful. They desire the cares of the world. This was Demas, his care for the world. They received it. They received it with joy. They professed Christ. So as we see in these three soils, of these four soils, three of them are not Christians, though two of them at least profess Christ. So where do we get to the last part there in verse 23? As that was sown on good soul, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, another 30. So not all of us will bear the same fruit, but yet that is the one who is a true Christian. One who bears and yields. Or as Peter would say, one who supplements to his faith goodness, gentleness, those things of the Spirit. So in 2 Peter, as we're looking at these false teachers and those who are being influenced by them, you're seeing two soils are on display. Those that are falling due to tribulation and persecution, they are tested by fire and they fail. And they're falling into apostasy. And then those that are falling into apostasy are those that are falling because they love the world. The world just has too much to offer. 
I'll never forget a young man. I was thinking of this several weeks ago, and I need to reach out to him. This was 20 years ago. He's now a manager, owns, well, not a man, he owns his own restaurant. I need to reach out to him. But I talked to him one time, and I said, listen, and he just gave me trouble and trouble. I was a, a dean of students at the time, a youth pastor of the church, and I said, listen, why don't you accept Christ? You've heard the message. You've heard the gospel. We can tell your heart is hard. Why will you not accept him? This man was, young man was 16 at the time, 15, 16. He said, I just can't. There's too much that I want to do in this world. There's too much that I want to enjoy in this world. Well, now this young man must be 33, 34, married, three or four children, I believe, owns a restaurant, is successful. My desire is reach out and say, okay, how about now? Why not today? You got all the world offers. But I'm afraid he's going to say, no, not today. I've got too much more I want to do. Neither hostility to our faith nor apostasy in the church, a leaving of the faith, should surprise or discourage the child of God. Peter writes to warn the church not to be influenced by the false teachers. For that will lead to apostasy. And, and in the next few weeks, we're going to be getting into how you can tell who's a false leader and those who are following him. But he also writes to encourage the church that God will rescue him. God will rescue you. If you're here today and you have professed Christ and you have doubts about your salvation or you're struggling in your faith, or you're being persuaded and then the hostility is getting too much, let me share with you that God will rescue you. God will protect and provide and care for you. I want to spend the rest of our time now to think and meditate on how God does that. How does God provide, protect, and deliver the godly from apostasy? It's all around us. Even in our culture, it's just indenuating us with, with TV, with movies, and everything else. We can't escape it. Our government now is codifying things that, that go directly against us. Churches are abandoning their faith and accepting the affirmation and acceptance of all things that are ungodly. Where does that leave you and I as we continually get smaller and smaller in the fence, tighter and tighter? Well, this rescue from the godly, this deliverance, this providence, you and I must understand, is a supernatural act of God. And you and I refer to it as the doctrine of perseverance. Wayne Grudman explains this doctrine as you look on your, on your screen there, the monitor. This is important. What scripture teaches us is that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power. And that we will be preserved as Christians or persevere as Christians until the end of our lives. And that only those who persevere into the end have been truly born again. Now, this can be encouraging, but also discouraging. It can say, well, well wait, well, how do I stay firm until the end? What if I live 60, 70, 80 more years? How do I escape this corruption? 
If, if Paul says that this, this earth, this very creation groans because of sin, I tell you, my voice is just as loud in my heart. I desire to be free from the presence of sin. I don't know about you, but the, 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 it's getting so difficult to say no and to stay firm and to walk true and to supplement our faith. But God says that he will persevere or preserve us. This is a wonderful truth that should bring the believer immense joy and comfort, knowing that our adoption as children of God is secure. Could you imagine an orphan, maybe orphan from birth, going from home to home through different things, foster child, always being disappointed, but then one day finding themselves adopted, what would an orphan's child, what would be their thought and fear? continually will they keep me if I do one bad thing will they bring me back will they send me back maybe they're in their room and they can't imagine a room all by themselves and you go in there and you find them still sleeping on the floor or maybe you see that their clothes is still in a in a suitcase because they can't take them out and put it in the closet because they think well I'm always going to be leaving one bad thing and I'm gone But you and I have a father who adopts us as his own. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. My home is your home. I'm building you a place and I will come for you. That should bring us joy. That should bring us comfort. It should give us the courage to continue to walk firmly in the faith. This doctrine teaches us that our salvation is based on the acts of the Trinity. And I'd like to take a moment to give you three things that you and I must understand. Is that our doctrine of perseverance, our way of being rescued by God, our salvation, is based on three things. First, it's based on the faithfulness of God. Not my faithfulness, but the faithfulness of God. One theologian notes that salvation began in eternity past when God set his saving love on his elect and he granted them grace in Christ. Paul writes, God has saved us and he has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us. Romans 8 tells us of God's great purpose and plan for us to make us, to conform us into the image of God. And he says, those that I predestined, I've called. And those who I've called, I've justified. And to those I've justified, I what? Glorified. Jesus informed his disciples in John chapter 6. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but that of my Father's. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose nothing that he's given me. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. That is the father's will. And God, Jesus says, and on the last day I will raise him up. So let me ask you, who can thwart the will of God? The scripture tells us no. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalmist says the counsel of God stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Paul in prison was comforted by the truth that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
So our salvation is not based on our faithfulness, but the faithfulness of God who wills it to be done. Salvation number two is based on the work of Christ. Paul asks, who can bring any charge against God's elect? For it's God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who's indeed interceding for us. Going back to question 29, we see that it's only by faith in Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. John tells us that Jesus warned the Pharisees and he comforted his disciples with these words. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about them. He tells the Pharisees, you are not my sheep. But then he turns and says, but I will have my own sheep and they hear my voice and my father will draw them to them and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. So even today, the son has not only given us our salvation by paying the penalty and delivering us from the power of darkness, but he's also now interceding for you. I can almost imagine Jesus' words here. Father, that's, that's one of my sheep, protect them. Father, that's, that's one of my sheep. Deliver him. Isolate him out of that. That's the prayer of the, of the Christ. The one who pleads our cause before the Father. And then thirdly, if you're taking notes, our salvation is based on the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In him also, he writes in Ephesians, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance. You and I understand that. Get a loan for a house, for a car. Many times when you're young, you're starting out, and you need a co-signer. Let me ask, what a better co-signer is there than the Holy Spirit? What is a better guarantee than not just your job or your income, but the fact that the Holy Spirit says, I guarantee your salvation. Wayne Grumman notes that all who have the Holy Spirit within them or all who are truly born again have God's unchanging promise and guarantee that the inheritance of eternal life in heaven will certainly be theirs. God knows how to rescue the godly. How? By sealing us with the Holy Spirit. For those who have truly repented and turned to Christ, he's given you the spirit so that you may not apostatize, so that you may not lose your salvation, so that not only can you not walk away, but it cannot be taken from you. You see, our salvation comes from God. And you and I can be rest assured that God is faithful to accept the works of Christ and to seal us with the Holy Spirit's power. The psalmist sings the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. And our God is a God of salvation. The Lord brings or belongs deliverance from death. You and I can be instructed, encouraged by the words of Charles Spurgeon here on the monitor. Who wrote, if our religion be of our own getting or making, it will perish. And the sooner it goes, the better. But if our religion is a matter of God's giving, we know that he shall never take back what he gives. And that if he has commenced to work in us by his grace, he will never leave it unfinished. So salvation is a work of the Trinity. We are rescued from the ungodly through trials because of his work. Now, though salvation is entirely a work of God, 
you and I must not think that we do not have a role to play. Peter writes that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So he's given us a promise there that he knows how to rescue us from the things that will give us trials. And in this rescue, God has called us to play a part. That part is to endure, to endure with patience. Jesus warned and promised his disciples that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. He also says, and because lawlessness will be increased, speaking of sin, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Scripture uses words of Christians of those who are overcomers, those who endure, those who stand firm. Our responsibility in salvation is to repent and to believe. To pursue godliness and holiness as our dream and aspiration. And to be courageous and stand firm in the faith. So in light of our question in the opening of whether a true believer can lose his salvation, the answer is no. You cannot. It is impossible for a Christian to either abandon his faith or to be taken away from him. The doctor of perseverance proclaims that all the godly will be preserved by God and persevere through trials. Theologian Doug Moo comments that the trials refer to all the challenges to faith that Christians experience in this world. And you and I know that there's many. It can be financial. It can be relationships. It can be work. It could be uh, uh, in death of a family member or a loved one. It could be mental anguish. It could be so many different things. But God says, I know how to rescue you. For there will be a day of vindication. Now that may be delayed. You and I may see some of that today. But many times, just as punishment is delayed, reward is delayed. Vindication may not come until the day he comes again. But it will happen. One writer writes that Peter's point was that those who are godly and righteous will be prevented from committing apostasy. God will guard them so in the end they will not forsake him. Let me share with you four ways and we're getting near the end. Stay with me. Several ways were to endure. So if you can endure the rest of this message, I'll reward you with cake in room 208 afterwards. How you can endure. Number one, do not conform to the world's standards. Scripture commands us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So don't be conformed. Just because they say it's now okay to do, just because someone says, hey, you know, it's okay for you to divorce your wife and marry someone else. Or you can live in sin and that's all right. If they just come and say, well, it's all right if, if, if two men want to marry or two women, then it's okay now that it's the law. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it good in God's sight. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right in the eyes of God. So do not conform to the world's standards. Number two, stay grounded in the word of God. He says, abide in me and in my word. If you do so, you are truly my disciple. 
You and I also must pray for God that he'll keep us from temptations and trials. You should begin your day just as Jesus taught. Lord, deliver me from evil one, from the evil one. Pray this way. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us. Does that start your day? It should. Before you turn on the TV, go to the movies, write a check. Lord, deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Don't even lead me down that path. Isolate me. Protect me. And then be determined to fight temptation. For Peter says, or excuse me, Paul informs us that no temptation has overtaken us. But with it, God will give us a way and escape. John wrote, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than the world. He also tells us everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. As you and I supplement it, add to it, make every effort, are diligently pursuing godliness and holiness. James, the elder at the church of Jerusalem, the half-brother of Christ, writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And let me share something. I want to share this with you, and I want, to, I want it to, to rest in your mind right now. There are some of you here today that need to pray for protection. Father, keep me from temptation. Maybe there's, there's a woman at work or a, a man at work. Maybe it's what the entertainment that you're having or that you're, you're considering to, to find pleasure in. Lord, protect me from that. Maybe it's how you spend your money. Maybe it's the way that you say your words. Maybe your prayer needs to be today. Lord, provide escape for I'm facing temptation and it seems so difficult. And you're looking for the door. You're looking for the window. And you're saying, Lord, protect me. Give me a way out. Give me a deliverance. But here's the one that I really want to share. For many times, I find myself in this quagmire. Is you need to pray for deliverance. Because you're armpit already in sin. Some of you are here that are struggling today. You're having a hard time listening to this message because you're not fighting sin. You're not praying for deliverance. You're in it. And you can barely move. The temptation is overtaking you so much. You find yourself so deep, you're saying that it's almost easier for me just to give up and walk away. Pray for deliverance. That's the portion of the church. Could you let us come down? Could you? I'll give you a hand. Just let me know. That's why he says, come to the church and let us pray for one another. Don't let your feet, and don't wait till you're here. If you find your feet are being slowed by this temptation and by this sin, share with us now. Let us get a hold of you. Let us pull you up. So pray for protection. Pray for provision. And pray for deliverance. My goal is that none of us would ever apostatize. I pray that us as us, as I'm saying their name together, Landon and Randy, as Dustin, as we stand before God as a, as a community of elders and pastors, and when he brings you forth, that we can give each and every one of you and say, he's one of yours. He's one of yours. We haven't lost any. God knows how to rescue you. God knows how to rescue you. We can be assured in our salvation. 
we can find comfort and faithfulness and trust in God's justice. For let me tell you, if you're even here today and you're at neck level and you're needing deliverance, let me share with this. If you are one of Christ's Christ's children, get this word. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. In this passage from 2 Peter chapter 4 through 9, we see that God has power over sin. He permits sin. He restrains sin. He judges sins. But brother and sister, he forgives sins as well. We see the sovereignty of God in righteousness and justice. And then we see the love of God in delivering his people from their sin, strengthening them in trials, and preserving and pre- preserving his children. In this passage, we see the very person and character of God. Would you taste and see that he's good today? One day there will be a reckoning. Those that have denied Christ will be denied before their father. While those that have embraced the cross of Jesus and have patiently endured will be rewarded with eternal life. Would you choose one today? Would you choose to follow him? Until that day, let us hold tightly to the words of Paul who wrote, and let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. You and I need to worship the Lord who knows how to rescue the godly. On the monitor is Psalms 40 verse 11. We need to worship God with these words. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as the worship team comes up? They had sung earlier, He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Let me end with this. For believers, if you're here today and you believe in Christ, you've turned from your sin, and you're trusting the works of Christ, God has called you to be faithful in pursuing holiness and godliness while obeying the commands of Christ. Please do not be discouraged when you see the wicked prosper, for God is not mocked. The day is soon coming where he will judge the living and the dead for their works. Until that day, I pray, Christian, believer, endure like a good soldier serving the Lord of hosts. If you're a believer here, but you're struggling in your pursuit of holiness, do not give up. Remember that God is greater than anything that Satan can throw at you. Embrace the cross of Jesus no matter the circumstance or the consequence, trusting that God knows how to provide and protect and deliver you in times of trials and troubles. But if you're here this morning and you're a skeptic, maybe you're a non-believer, and you struggle with the justice of God, remember that we all desire justice. Justice is not served when tolerance of sin is accepted and rebellion against God is rampant. Sin, whether you agree or not, hurts, scars, maims, and kills those it touches. Would you please ask God for him to open up your eyes so that you may see the beauty of his person and to the necessity of Christ's work on the cross for salvation. It is not of works, but all entirety of him. For any here who might be close to leaving the faith, I have one word. 
don't. Don't. Taste and see that God is good. Let the word of God drill deep into your heart. Let the Holy Spirit remake you into the image of his son. Do not be seduced by the love of the world. Its end is only death and destruction. God knows how to rescue the godly. Father, we thank you for this. Make this drive deep into our hearts. There's some that need deliverance. There's some that need protection. There's some that need provision. And there's some that are just asking for isolation, for you to take them and give them just love and healing, a time in which they can, they can be um, away from the pressures of sin and the troubles. Let us as a church gather around each and every one. Father, as the work of the community is to encourage one another. We thank you for that. You know how to rescue the godly. Let us look forward to that day when we are delivered once and for all from the presence of sin and in the presence of your holiness. Until that day, help us to endure. We praise the name of Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.